one of the ways human beings build trust is by collaborating with each other. And I think that's a central insight on which our company is built, is that you you're doing it right now. You're hosting a conversation in the world about business and you're you're facilitating a conversation that makes us all smarter. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Welcome, folks, to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My guests today are Tom McMakin and Jacob Parks from Profitable Ideas Exchange and the authors of Never Say Sell. Jacob, Tom, how are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Doing great. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys are both. I'm going to try to address y'all by name and try to get some joint and parallel questions. So, uh, Tom, why don't I start with you? Tell me about who you are. How did you get to here? And then, Jacob, you can do your intro after. Uh, you know, I'm 60 years old, so any six-year-old has a long, sordid story. Uh, it only depends on whether it's a short version or not. You know, I grew up in D.C., and I went overseas and joined the Peace Corps, walked across Africa, came back, taught school. Anyway, long story, I came out to Montana, where Profitable Ideas is located, and I became the chief operating officer of a multi-unit retail concept called Great Harvest Bread Company. It's got about 250 stores around the country. And uh, we sold that company. And uh, I went to work for a pair of private equity firms. And then I bought this firm or a portion of it um, about 12 years ago. And that's when Jacob and I started working together. And we've grown the company over the last 12 years pretty significantly in a, in, and had a lot of fun doing it. That's awesome. And Jacob, a little short intro on who you are, where you're from. Yeah, sure. I am an unusual millennial. I, I guess we all are, but I have been with the same company for 19 years. In January, my 20th anniversary. I think most of my peers have had 20 jobs by now. I met the founder of our company, Harry Wallace. He was teaching a class that I was attending about sales. I went up there and asked him if I could have an internship, and he promptly told me no. But any good salesman knows I sort of followed up several times and got the internship, and, and I've been working at Pi and kind of in a variety of increasing roles over the past 20 years or so. That's what I always, when people say no, I, I tell my kids like, that's just a code for them asking for more information. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> just not, not now. So um, yeah. very cool. I'm excited. I know we've been chatting for a little while. I'd love to hear a little bit about what are you seeing in the marketplace? So Jacob, maybe I'll say, what are you seeing in the marketplace? What are you seeing from, from business people as we discuss you know, what are they coming to you guys for? What are some of the challenges that they're experiencing? And, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So I think one of the things that, that is sort of, you know, the elephant in the room is the talent landscape is difficult right now. I think that we feel very pleased with the work that our team has done in, in sort of recruiting and perhaps more importantly, engaging what we consider to be really star people in our, in our company. Granted, I think that we have a slight advantage being in both in Montana. People like living in the place that has the best fly fishing and the best skiing in the world subjectively, not objectively. But I think that's going on. And I think that increasingly, I'm, I'm moved by the writing of, of Dan Pink, the, the person who wrote uh, To Sell as Human, on just how important persuasive skills are in getting anything done in a company, not necessarily selling a widget, but in pushing an initiative, in doing something innovative. 
I have found over my years that developing persuasive skills is really kind of quintessential to any career. You know, it's interesting, Anthony. I'm going to build on that. I think Jacob's absolutely right. So we've got this 80 little 80 person company that is in Bozeman, Montana, that Jacob and I run. And what we do is we help big companies, companies that have three letters and are in Armark, uh, uh, New York, or uh, big companies with their business development. And what we're finding with them, our clients, is that uh, COVID really put the hurt on their sales efforts. They were used to jumping on planes every day and going to visit clients, trying to add value and ultimately engage and you know expand the scope of the business that they're doing with them. And COVID grounded everybody and it became a Zoom world. That has been hard for our clients. They've, they've not grown with new clients. I would say the last two years, people have doubled down with their existing clients with whom they've already built trust. COVID and Zoom, it's, it's, it's just incrementally more difficult to build trust with the people you want to work with. I got that. So I do want to ask about that changing sales growth landscape, because as somebody as a consultant myself who does strategic planning and sees companies that are plant are seeing their three-year future and saying, hey, how do we how do we get there? And talent being one, obviously revenue growth being the other, there's some challenges and opportunities there. So before I ask you about what opportunities you see, I would love for you to tell me about the importance of collaboration. So Tom, like why is collaboration important? Why is connecting powerful minds important? How does that support leaders and how can that support our listeners in in adopting that more readily in the future? Yeah, so I think by way of, of, of background, the way we help with these big companies is we pull together groups of executives that they want to help. So let's say we work for the supply chain uh, practice of a big company, and they want to work with chief supply chain officers and other big companies. Um, we pull together roundtables where they can swap what works and what doesn't. And look, I think the, to answer your question directly, all of us have never done what we're doing before. Mm. We're all making it up. Jacob and I have never led an 80-person company out of COVID in 2022, niched on business development. Never done it before. This is our first time. We might have done other things, bread companies or whatnot, but uh, this is our first time doing this. All the executives, managers, senior managers at large companies, small companies, they've never done what they've never done what they're doing right now before. It's a changing landscape. And it feels really good to locate yourself in a kind of universe of peers, not just to learn best practices. That's like, you can be greedy for best practices. Oh, that's a great idea. I hadn't thought we should hire a consultant to worry about our cybersecurity. But, uh, more to just make sure that we're not outliers, that when people talk about artificial intelligence, when senior executives get together, they go, yeah, you know, we're doing a little bit of ro- you know, robotics, but we're not really doing AI yet. That seems like a couple of years off. It's reassuring for us to hear that the chatter we hear in the media maybe isn't what everyone else is doing, and we're safe doing what we're doing right now. A little bit of a kind of risk avoidance perspective. Does that make sense? Um- Tom's so right. I mean, there is this great Michael Lewis book, The Undoing Project, that I think highlights exactly this trait that is basically we are programmed to avoid risk more than we are to seize opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think we find in all of the history of doing these collaborations, that's a lot of what people are doing, not necessarily seizing opportunity, but making sure that they're sort of mitigating the risk of missing something that their peers are doing. But collaboration is really in the news right now because uh, 
I think a professor from Harvard Business School and a professor from Stanford Business School recently collaborated on an article in Nature magazine that said that there is less creativity when people are not in the same room together. When they collaborate by Zoom, there's less innovation, less creativity. And they don't know why. They speculate that we pick up on nonverbal cues when we're in each other's presence. But this entire debate going on right now, you see it at Apple, you see it at Goldman Sachs, you see it at Microsoft, um, about whether or not we're going back into the building that we call our businesses building, whether that's a good idea or not, you know, it's it's quite in the news right now. It's interesting. Collaboration is, uh, it, I think we all need to learn more about the mechanics of collaboration because my guess is that that, that gap between uh, creativity we experience online and in person will shrink over time as technology gets better. But we need to guide technology in its effort to get better by thinking about what, what is it that's different about this conversation right now versus one that's in person? Oh, I got that. So I, I'm, I'm curious. So I'll ask each of you, and I think you'll answer it differently. So as our listeners might have alluded to, Tom and Jacob, you might be at different uh, relative stages in your career. Okay. So one of you is older than the other, which is by nature. Uh, and so how do you see the, I want to use the word preponderance, but also approach to your respective generations towards not necessarily working online or collaboration, but the willingness to get into that group learning model. Like I've led peer groups. I know that they're super valuable. We lead big stakeholder groups. I know they're super valuable, but I do think that different generations have different apprehensions about different things. So Tom, from your kind of generation and, and people who might have more experience, yeah. do you find that they are more or less willing to engage in that kind of thing, whether it's for opportunity gain or risk to risk mitigation? How do you see their uh, approach and appetite for that? Hopefully for our listeners to say, oh, great, like it's not as scary or here's some of the things that I might want to consider wherever I sit. Okay, so speaking on behalf of the nearly dead, I think that's my position in this. <laughs> I think that, uh, you, you know, there was a hesitancy to jump from uh, phone calls to video calls. That was scary. And, you know, COVID just forced my generation to figure it out. And we did. And now we're comfortable with it. But I would say in general, if I were going to look at a group of a thousand people and say, who values coming together and swapping best practices? I'd say I would divide it less by age and more by personality type. There's some people that just like that think when they're talking to other people. So uh, as I ask you a question, it prompts something in my mind. You ask me a question and I generate new material that is an insight for me and I write it down. Some people think that way. Some people don't. And we have found, you know, we recruit thousands of people to our roundtables every year. And, uh, you know, some people it's not a good fit. Some people are a good fit. So I don't know, Jacob, whether you've got a sort of different point of view. So before you answer, Jacob, I'm, I'm going to yeah. ask you, because Jacob, you and I are probably closer in age, and I would assert that most younger people have a kind of sometimes uh, I know it attitude, or that they might be more protecting of their dollars and their investment. Whereas if you've had that experience, you say, hey, I know I'm going to get huge value out of this. Do you find that? Like, are we seeing the same thing there? Or do you see it differently? Like, if you're 40 odd, that I go to get my knowledge and support from other places. 
Yeah. So I think I agree with what Tom said about kind of the, the personality. I also think that there is an element of it that is sort of w- with reference to the stage of a career that one is in. So I think that when you're an analyst at Goldman Sachs and, and you have all of your peer group sitting in the cube next to you, that sort of network is built into your experience. You're talking to those people and a lot of times you're going for drinks or, or whatever on Friday nights after you finish work. So I think as you grow in, in your organization and you become solely responsible for a big budget or a big risk, then you want to reach outside and start to network. One thing that I find just fascinating, and I think this goes back to what Tom was saying, is that everybody in the world knows that it's better to be in person for the most part, that it's a more enjoyable experience. Recently, we had one of our advisors in, a guy called Walt Schill, who used to run North America for Accenture, and he taught us a class on storytelling. And I had to sort of encourage two or three people to join that session And the result of that was that everybody walked away more engaged in our business than they had been before they came in. But just actually taking the action to go to work and do it is something we got to figure out too, because finishing up laundry and staying at home and getting my responsibilities done doesn't help you grow in your career. As Tom said, I think that's something we just have to figure out going forward. Do you see the same appetite for people to do that? self-investment? And is, is that, again, going back to the personality trait that some people are like, okay, great, like I'm on that career ladder. And then some people are saying, you know, like I'm valuing more not yeah, growth. I, I, this, there's no problem with this. Every business needs employees like this. But I think that there are some people who view their roles as transactional. And so they want to get their work done and go home. And other people who are looking for sort of atmospheric growth in their career, and those tend to be the people who join. I do think that in our experience, and I'm not sure if you agree with this, Anthony, that the idea or the practice of networking was emphasized during our education. And I don't know how much it was emphasized, you know, 20 years before we went to school in terms of this is an important part of your career, because so much of that networking was historically done at a church, at a golf club, at a civics organization. And now we're trying to figure out how to do that globally. And it requires advanced techniques and strategies. Yeah, I, I, I really embraced it. Like I personally liked it. And that's how I got, I believe I got smarter because I got to interview folks like you and I got to like handshake people and ask them the questions I really wanted to know. And I also wonder like two years not doing that, are people still flexing that muscle of meeting? But I think that, you know, getting to share your problems that you're dealing with in that type of setting is invaluable because you have to have people in that same kind of sphere and environment that you are, but not in the same fishbowl that you're, you have the same kind of constraints. So it's just interesting to look at the dynamic of collaboration inter-organizationally and externally and to see how that evolves. Uh, Tom, thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I th- we look at, at collaboration through the perspective of business development. And so if you divide the world up into, I don't know, people that sell things like iPads and eyeglasses, and then the world, the people that, that sell expertise like you, you're, you're a consultant that helps people grow their business, diagnose problems, fix them, gives advice. So you're selling air, you're selling hot air, if I can, Anthony. And uh, when you do that, it's a harder sell. You're selling on relationships and reputation, your sort of uh, your insight into the world. And uh, in order to do that, you need to build trust with the people that you want to work with. And I'm going to get a little technical for a second, but there's a professor at Kellogg that calls what we do selling 
expertise, a credence good. A credence good is, is something where you have to trust that the person is going to diagnose the problem correctly and give you the right answer. So the, the example I give is like, you get this old car, you take it into the mechanic. The mechanic could say it needs a new valve job for $3,500, or they could say, you know, it's an old car, just put high test in it. It's going to ping. That's the deal. You don't know anything about your, your car's engine. And so you have to trust that person that they're diagnosing something that's in your interest, not in their interest. Okay. So trust is, you don't have to do that when you buy an iPad. But when you buy cybersecurity help or help for your parents to write a will or business help, any kind of expertise, you have to really trust that the person's going to come in and be truthful with you, have your best interests at heart. And uh, building that trust is really difficult. But one of the ways human beings build trust is by collaborating with each other. And I think that's a central insight on which our company is built, is that you you're doing it right now. You're hosting a conversation in the world about business and you're you're facilitating a conversation that makes us all smarter and generates in our minds questions and answers. And in that way, we get to know you, you demonstrate your intelligence and we grow to trust you and we want to engage with you. So it's that what you're doing with us right now on the and the world through this podcast is exactly what we do for our clients. And it's it's interesting that collaboration would have this like door through which people could pass and build trust with the people they most want to work with. But that's what we found to be true. Jacob? Yeah, absolutely. He's right about that. I've also learned a lesson, I think, in the last few years. I was talking with a professor at Gonzaga, Chris Stevens, about network development. And I think what I've learned is it's incumbent upon me to develop the right network, a good network. And so what are the, what are the kind of elements of a good network? I think you want to, I think the trust part that Tom talked about is key. You got to have people you trust. You, you got to have people who are in your same role or sphere so that you can compare notes on sort of like things. You can talk to them about things that they've understood and been through as well. And, and then you want to have a few people, I think, who are outside your world, really good friends, close confidence, people you've worked with in the past to just bounce new ideas off of. But I would say if you have early career people listening to this, I think what I've learned in my career is that cultivating a network is really important. And there's a variety of techniques and tools like LinkedIn and different things to do it. But, but it's important and it's something we should be proactive about. You can't just let it happen to you. You know, it's interesting, Jacob, that you say this because I think that there was a Chicago professor that said uh, that, that when people have many different careers and different uh, realms, their networks are richer and they advance quicker. So let's just think about that for a second. So you think about your friend that got an accounting degree, became a CPA, became a manager, became a partner. They're rising through the ranks in one profession. What this professor said is that increasingly progress in a company and innovation comes not from us like having a eureka moment like uh, Galileo or Archimedes or something like that. It's uh, we're borrowing brilliance. So that's the name of a, a book that I think describes this, but we're borrowing brilliance from other domains. So maybe I worked in a nonprofit domain and I saw a best practice that I put into a tech company that I'm working for, or I work for a governmental organization and I see something good that would work in the nonprofit. So uh, it's interesting that when we look at 
collaboration and networking through the perspective of career advancement, actually reaching outside of your domain enriches your network and that network actually fuels your advance. I got that. So, I mean, we talk a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion, but that is the value of diversity, that if you have homogeneity, that you don't have those those different lenses. And so a different way to think about it, because I think most people think about DEI for DEI sake versus diversity of thought and, and progress. So as we wind down here, lightning round, which is an unofficial thing that I just started right now, uh, <laughs> In 45 seconds or less, we started today by talking about kind of the future of sales in a roundabout way. What do you see being key drivers for organizations that want to um, increase their sales, increase their growth, increase the success of people selling in their organizations? 45 seconds or less. Jake, I'll start with you. Perfect. Uh, I would say design theory. So the idea that you have to put yourself in the shoes of the customer and redesign. Quick story on this. IDEO, the innovation firm. They figured out that kids were not brushing their teeth properly. Little rascals. I think, Anthony, you may have to deal with this at some point in the near term. And and so what they did is they didn't put Spider-Man on there or anything like that. They studied the behavior of children, and they found out that they don't have the manual dexterity to hold a thin toothbrush. And so what they did actually is they just made it a lot wider, and the kids would brush their teeth, right? And so I think we all have an opportunity to learn and listen to our customers and to apply a little design thinking to make sure we're serving them in the best way possible. Awesome. Tom? All right. So it used to be, like Jacob said, that if your mother was a CPA in your town, she went to church or synagogue, she went to the Rotary Club, she got to know all the people in town that she could serve with her CPA services. But what's changed is that people are becoming more and more specialized. And through technology, the group of people that they serve is geographically dispersed. And so the lesson from that is that we all need to niche, niche, niche. We need to shrink the pond. We need to say, hey, I'm not a CPA. I'm a CPA for people that uh, own small retail stores and want to retire. And I'm going to bring those people together. Or I work with sovereign wealth funds from around the world. um, And there are only 30 people in my niche, but I'm going to serve them ably. And I'm going to let them know that this is my expertise and, and add value to them and advance the sales. So I think the trend that we're seeing is much narrower niches spread across globally. Cool. I love that. Okay. Last question. And this one, I'm going to like give you about 10 seconds to think about. What was one moment in your careers, whether it's 20 years or longer, that you absolutely got your butt handed to you and it taught you a very valuable lesson that you were like, man, I won't forget that. And I'm going to teach it to everybody I know. Like just something you're like, oh, Usually those are the forming ones. So Tom, it looks like you got one ready in the chair. Yeah, exactly. So I used to work construction when I was in college and my job was to get up at 6.30 and bring coffee to the general contractor and this local policeman that stopped by for coffee and donuts. And uh, I was late periodically. And then I got fired for being late with the coffee. And ever since then, I've hit my marks. And you know what? It doesn't take that much effort to just hit your marks. Mm. I learned that early. Awesome. I love that. Jacob? Yeah, I mean, uh, the list is long and distinguished, unfortunately. But, but I would say that one of the, the seminal moments for me was getting rejected for my first internship. So I went to school at Montana, uh, Montana State. I had told myself, I'm going to grant you four more years of fly fishing and skiing and not being that serious about life. So I went to Montana State. And then I got rejected from this internship, which felt really crappy because I was always a good student. And I sort of felt like, there's one good opportunity here and I should be having it. And I think what I learned is that you get a lot of no's. 
It doesn't matter if you're in sales or whatever, but you get a lot of no's in your career and you just got to build a callus for getting no's. Awesome. I love that. Guys, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Uh, you know, one of taking away from this is really continuing to develop the network of people around you to both make yourself better internally as a team and externally. And that, that there's always lessons in things, whether that's being comfortable getting no's or making sure that you hit your mark and hit your stride. For me, as you know, the person who's selling things, I need to make sure I hit my marks for this team so that I can keep de- developing things and then really uh, developing that trust and finding the right place to build trust. So I wrote TikTok to build trust. So I'll do some trust dances. Uh, but that's another story. Uh, Tom Jacob, where can people find you? Where can they connect? Where can they learn more about Pi? www.profitableideas.com has both of our emails under our bio. So that's the easiest thing. Or just uh, get onto Amazon and buy Never Say Sell or its predecessor book, How Clients Buy, which discuss some of our thinking around how collaboration can feed business development in expert services firms. Perfect. Jacob, anything you want to leave us with? No, I mean, LinkedIn as well. No, but just thanks, Anthony. It's been a pleasure getting to talk to you both offline and online. It's yes, it's fun. Really Thank joy. you, Anthony. Great job. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Folks, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Be sure to connect with our guests, Jacob Parks and Tom McMicken. Go check them out, Profitable Ideas Exchange. Check out their book, learn something. My challenge to you is what can you do this week to expand your network and create a little bit more diversity so that it makes all parties richer. So once again, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.